Welcome to the 3D Podcast. Uh, my name is Sean Coleman, and I am very pleased to welcome back co-host and uh, uh, man, the, the, the prodigal son has returned, for lack of a better uh, way of describing it. <laughs> Justin Lewis is back. Justin, how you doing, bud? I'm good. Excited to be back. Uh, I hate I hate missing, but you've been doing a great job. I'm glad to, to hop back on here with you. Well, I appreciate it. I will say it's always it, it's always more fun to to definitely get your takes and. Uh, of it. And obviously it's a pleasure anytime we get to do this with you. So glad you're back. And, uh, I mean, it, it's been a fun time. Uh, you, Hey, you know what? It's been a fun time in general for us. Uh, uh, the, uh, the Grizzlies, obviously a lot of exciting news and, uh, uh, the Braves, you know, Hey, they're, they're playing well, but we can talk about the Braves in the second, you know, Justin, I, I'll give you the floor. Obviously a lot has happened, uh, since you've been gone, just in general, uh, just a, a, what's your take on obviously last week the uh, the hire of the head coach and then uh, Jonas Valanciunas uh, deciding to opt out? Just some thoughts on that from you. Yeah, um, uh, I like the hire. You know, we I've, I've on record here on the Three and D podcast saying that I'd rather have a head coach with some experience. But um, the the tree that, that this guy comes out of. Um, you know, with the Spurs organization and then working under boots um, uh, and just his, I guess, unique uh, routes to being an NBA head coach. Uh, I'm excited about it. I like that they're making a long-term commitment to him. Um, we've got to have that in the season that we're, we're heading into with Memphis basketball. And as far as Jonas goes, um, I think it's just uh, – it doesn't make sense why he would opt out just to get an extra year. Um, maybe it's in the works that he's going to get a more franchise-friendly deal so we can sign somebody, or maybe he opted out to watch and see what happens with Mike, and if Mike goes somewhere else, he may truly explore the market and uh, see what he may be able to get elsewhere. And the thing I'll say is, is that at the end of the day, uh, when it comes to Jonas Valanciunas, I, I, I just don't get it. I, I, I get that he is opening, he's opening up his opportunities when it comes to not just negotiating with one team, but I still think that he, he, it didn't make the most sense uh, to pass up, you know, the monetary reward of opting in. I get it, may not have been all about money. I completely understand that. But I think that Jonas still would have had enough value to have landed a multi-year deal after next year and had the $17 million in his pocket um, instead of, uh, you know, missing out on that opportunity. But, hey, you know, to each their own, Jonas is betting on himself. And if he feels that that's the best way to go, you know, it does make some sense. But, of course, that's last week. And, you know, catching up now, uh, we, we do hear – uh, some rumors that have come out, Ed, now with Anthony Davis off the table and a couple of other moves haven't been made, uh, you're going to start hearing some familiar names, some speculated names that would be on the market this summer. You're going to start hearing the wheels turn on what could happen with them. And, of course, Mike Conley is at the top of that list. Just at first, let me back up here and ask you this question. You know, we both contributed to a GBB article here that came out today about what we thought would make sense for a Conley trade and how we feel the 19 draft should factor into the trade talks. Are you comfortable with the prize of our get for Mike Conley being in the 2019 draft? Uh, 
depends on where it falls, uh, who's available on the board at that pick kind of deal. Um, I don't want to be necessarily out of the lottery um, unless I'm getting another young player uh, in return that has some promise. Um, I I would rather, hey, throw me something in 2021 uh, because Mike probably won't be a ro- part of the roster of whatever team he gets traded to in 2021, which means there's a chance that they might not be as good in that stacked draft um, that we're expecting to have. So if, I, if I'm coveting a pick, I, I want one that year. And that's what I'm getting at with this. Of course, you know, the rumor is today is that, you know, the Grizzlies are certainly intensifying their talks. Uh, the Utah Jazz have a, have appeared as the front runners, and, and what it comes down to is is that that makes perfect sense. Uh, I, I um, was had the pleasure of speaking with a Tony Jones on Twitter of the Athletic, the beat writer for the Utah Jazz. I had a pleasure of interviewing him uh, for the Locked Up Grizzlies podcast. You know, right after the trade deadline, and he stated the Grizzlies and Jazz got to third base on trade talks. The Grizzlies ultimately decided to wait till the off season to where they had more options in place. I think the Grizzlies are simply using the Jazz as leverage because I'm not attracted to what the Jazz could offer. Justin, is there any combo of potential picks or players from the Jazz that would make you accept accept an offer from them quickly without thinking about it? You'd have to give me favors and his non-guaranteed and – I don't really care to have Exum, so you've got to send me somebody like maybe, uh, I mean, I don't even want Grayson Allen. Maybe favors their 19, 2019 pick and the 2021 pick. We can have a conversation. Uh, but there's just not a lot of chips for them to bargain with over in Utah that makes me believe that we actually are in serious conversation with them. And I can also understand a third team potentially being involved, but on my end, it it, it it seems like why would a third team, unless they're just really wanting favors off the books, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. If that other team wants to trade it first to get the financial flexibility that comes from favors, well, why would why would Utah give up, just give up favors for the heck of it? It's not like they're really going to be able to get a max free agent more than likely. I mean, I guess – um, you know, uh, if uh, if D'Lo was going to go there, that would make sense. But there's, it, it's just, it seems like that there's going to have to be a lot of moving parts that are going to have to fall right for Utah to have it. Except for one scenario. Justin, when you looked at the Pelicans-Lakers trade, what were your thoughts of that? My initial thoughts were the Pelicans clearly won this on paper, but both teams came out with what they wanted. What were your thoughts about the haul that the Pelicans got for Anthony Davis? Uh, I'm shocked that they agreed to deal without Kuzma, um, specifically because he plays uh, in the uh, front court and they traded away their best front court player and they're probably not going to resign their other front court player in Julius Randle. Uh, but outside of that, they have the leverage to make all kinds of moves just around Zion and Drew um, and whoever they decide to keep out of um, Ingram and Ball. I'm not convinced that the plan long-term is to to keep both Ball and Ingram. I think you could see them packaged with the four 
to go get maybe another, you know, name that's out there available for a trade to put with Drew and Zion and, and try to make a push to the playoffs his first year. Um, all the picks they got, I mean, that's insane. I, I think the Lakers may have shot themselves in the foot because when when LeBron starts going downhill, at, you know, in a, in a year or two, or Davis maybe even sees that before a year or two, is like, look, they have no way to draft future talent. Um, people aren't just signing with L.A. anymore because it's, you know, L.A. Why would I stick around here when I might have a better chance to go sign somewhere else? Like, I don't think it's a guarantee that A.D. stays. So the Pelicans may look like just Danny A's 2.0 in this deal when it's all said and done. What I'm really hoping for that in the near future, if the Clippers do wind up getting you know, a couple of max contracts on their end. Um, I really am hoping that the Clippers and Lakers face off in the playoffs over the next few years and the Clippers win. I just want them to win because I think that would be interesting. A head-to-head playoff matchup with the Lakers would be awesome. But the big reason why I mentioned the Pelicans-Lakers trade, I think that the methods that you saw for the Pelicans to get enough for Davis, maybe how Memphis makes a deal with Utah work. If they could get favors, the 19 first, and then a couple of first-round pick swaps beyond 2021 with the Jazz, or maybe an unprotected 2022 or 2023, then you're talking. Because if you can bet on the Jazz, um, if you can bet on getting something, once Conley and Gobert's current deals are done after the 2021 season, I would definitely look at that. I don't know if the Grizzlies want to do that. I don't know if they want to wait that long to have the big prize of the Conley trade come into the fold. But I do think that the Pelicans did open up that door for smart um, for smart front offices. Look to the future and put some put yourself into control uh, to see what occurs. So, no, I agree with you. I, I, I think that when it comes down to it, um, future draft picks are, are the goal. So. Justin, also speaking of Conley, you know, we've seen a lot of changes occurring. Three places besides Utah that you think kind of make the most sense for Conley in terms of their return for the Grizzlies would make sense, and they give Conley the ability to compete in the playoffs. Uh, Three, I'd have to say Boston would be the best fit with them losing Kyrie, Um, and the return on that would be, we all know what that is. Um, I think Conley makes some sense in Indiana. Um, we've, we've mentioned that. Uh, I think the Grizzlies can get a decent player out of that trade. And then um, outside of that, like I, I guess I'd like to see maybe Mike. Like if you sent Mike to the to the Bucks and you got Bledsoe, or um, if you're able to get a signing trade with Brogdon, uh, which I don't think would happen. I think they would try to send Bledsoe first. Um, I think that's something that would be good for Mike, but I, I don't, it's not good for Mike to go to Phoenix. The return from Phoenix would be okay, um, but I think they got their eyes on um, the draft with Kobe White and Darius Garland, so I don't think they're going to move off and, and go trade for a big point guard. Um, I think Miami makes some sense, but I don't know how much Mike makes a difference for them in the playoffs. So I would probably keep it at two between Boston and, and Indiana. Agreed. I still think Indiana makes the most sense. They are in a prime place to where they'll be in the playoffs for the next two years. They do have a situation where they would probably like to see Sabonis or Turner be turned into something. 
Um, and also, that's the point. They, they have a legitimate return option for the Grizzlies uh, that makes some sense. Of course, if we do get Turner or if we do get um, Sabonis, uh, you know, that that could, you know, it comes down to how the Grizzlies value Valanciunas. If they re-sign Valanciunas, then we're probably not sitting here focusing on um, a return of Sabonis or Turner. It just doesn't make sense with uh, Jared Jackson Jr. and Valanciunas in the fold. So that's how these things kind of uh, impact each other. Uh, if the Grizzlies make it, what do they value? Do they value a, a certain return for Conley from Indiana over Valanciunas or vice versa? And it's amazing how things will will play out over the next few days. But that's the rumors that we have. But now we're going to get into the reason why this week is so fun. It's the 2019 NBA Draft Week. And while we do talk about the Grizzlies, we obviously also really want to focus on the NBA as a whole. And so me and Justin, we're going to do the first annual 3D mock draft, at least our own version. Uh, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to alternate between picks. I'm going to let Justin go first. I'll go second. We'll move on, so on and so forth. Um, so, Justin, are you ready for this mock draft? I mean, are, are, do you think the world is prepared uh, for you to take Bobo number one overall? Uh, they're not prepared, but you better watch out because I might do it. Uh, gotcha. Well, I'll actually give you the choice. Since we are Grizzlies fans, and this is a Grizzlies podcast, would you prefer to pick first, or would you prefer to have the Grizzlies second pick? you got a coin to flip? Let's see here. I do. I do. All right. What you got, let's heads say, or tails? Let, let, let's say heads, you pick uh, first. Tails, I pick first. All right, hold on one second here. All right, here we go. What was it? Heads, you pick first. Tails, I pick first? Sure, that works. All right. All right, it is tails. So I pick first, you pick second. I think that was right. Yeah, we're good there. <laughs> um, hey, the good thing is, is that you know, it, 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 we we the this is the part of the draft that's pretty simple. Uh, but uh, but we'll we'll go straight to it and just a little brief reason as to why we picked the guy that we picked, um, and then uh, we'll we'll go through the first round and just have some fun with it. So with the first pick of the 2019 NBA draft. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans, represented by Sean Coleman, uh, go surprise here. Uh, they take a forward Zion Williamson from Duke, and the reason why is duh. Uh, Justin Lewis, you're on the clock with the second pick. And with the second pick, the Memphis Grizzlies uh, will take Ja Morant out of Murray State. Huh. Man, didn't see that curveball coming. <laughs> yeah. Now, to spoil any surprises or any type of uh, hopes, there's no trades in this. We're just simply going to go with what we feel makes the most sense as the best pick at that spot. And so with the third pick, um, the New York Knicks uh, select uh, R.J. Barrett, forward out of Duke University. Justin, with the fourth pick, now in the hands of the New Orleans Pelicans, who do you feel them taking? Well, um, I always thought that uh, Garland was a lot to go uh, forth with. Uh, well, I'm trying to keep up with this on a 
mock draft deal here. I always thought that Garland was going to go uh, at four to the Lakers, but now that they, uh, the Pelicans have um, Bonzo Ball, Andrew Holiday, they obviously do not need uh, Darius Garland. So I believe that at four, they're going to take, um, what's their biggest area of need? You don't want to. You know what? Everybody has them taking Culver, but why would they need Culver if they've got Ingram and um, Holiday on the wings? But they don't really have anything um, in the front court. But you can't go Jackson Hayes this early. You can't go Rui uh, this early. So I guess I'll just stick with it and go. Uh, DeAndre Hunter at four. Woo! Woo-hoo-hoo. All right. All right. And that's that's the difference. That that may be a little bit of a difference between us. Uh, with the fifth pick, uh, since he's still on the board, and the Cleveland Cavaliers need all the help they can get, I'm going to go Jarrett Culver, forward out of Texas Tech on my end. Um, with the sixth pick, who do you have the Phoenix Suns taking? They are going to go Darius Garland um, because they are in desperate need of a point guard, and I think he's going to be a stud. So um, the Phoenix Suns will take Garland at uh, six. And I'll be honest with you. If you would have taken Culver at four for the Pelicans, I would have taken Garland over Hunter at uh, five for the Cavaliers because for their makeup, I think that Garland's ceiling is higher than Hunters, so I would have gone high ceiling. So, well, so you have the sun- I've seen other people take Garland at five with the Cavaliers, but they've got Colin Sexton. Do you think that that they're giving up on him, or you think that they can play together? I think that they. I think you let it play itself out, and, and, and the reason why I say that is because of the fact that in today's game, you really need to figure. You can play with two point guards in today's game. If you have two point guards, Sexton, Sexton is not as much of a score. He's more, he's got, he plays good defense. He's more of a guy who can do stuff with the ball, getting to the basket, things such as that. Garland is better as a shooter, and he's also better as a um, guy that could create space on shots. He's got more of an offensive arsenal. They can play together, yes. But at the end of the day, no, I don't think they're giving up on Sexton, but I just think overall that the Cavaliers, are in a place to where it just doesn't make sense to go for need. You go for the highest upside that you could possibly get on your pick, and I think that Garland is that. Now, if it doesn't work out, if next year they're high again and they wind up seeing another guard, then maybe you change it up. But I would still go guard. I just feel like the Cavaliers are in too much of need for talent to be drafting for need. I think they need to go best talent available. That's my thought process on it. Do you count? Where are we at? We at you at seven? And we are, we are at seven. Now, I mean, so do you count? Or so I take it you're a big need guy versus a BPA? Um, it just depends. I think on the team, um, because we're at the point in the draft now where, like, I don't – people's opinion on BPA is going to be very different. 
because you like Culver. I can't stand Culver. I would touch him in the, if in a top ten. Um, Hunter, I think, is the fourth best player in this draft. Maybe Garland is fourth best player in this draft. Like those two, I value over Culver. But if I'm if I'm Cleveland, I don't I don't know necessarily if I'd want uh, to have two point guards on the roster that are young and I don't know. Um, I guess if I was Cleveland, I'd probably take Culver over Garland too. But I don't not because I think Culver is a better player than Garland, but because he he is more of what we're looking for with the roster as currently assembled. Understood. And and it makes sense. It really does come down to team makeup. I just think that in the Cavaliers case, they're so low on talent right now. You go high ceiling, but on track with the draft, um, another point guard uh, going here with the bulls at number seven, since Chris Dunn uh, really has not panned out. And, and I think that Colby white is the type of guy that can develop quickly for a team that will probably have playoff aspirations. So Colby White, port guard of North Carolina, is really who I'm focused on um, with the um, uh, seventh pick. Justin, who are you looking at for the Hawks with the eighth pick? The Hawks with the eighth pick. Let's see. Man, Cam Red's still out there. Um, at eight, I'm going to have to go, uh, ball ball. Okay. All right. That's, I that's am, cool. I'm on the, I'm on the train that yes, he is a top five risk, but he's also a top five talent. And when you've got two top 10 picks and a heck of a young core, and you're not you're not trying to maybe win a title this year. He's worth the risk. With the ninth pick, and I think that the Washington Wizards may have the quickest time going up to uh, the uh, podium if if this winds up happening. But with the ninth pick, I think that uh, the the Washington Wizards would take Brandon Clark. Uh, they need size up front, and in Clark. He's been the biggest riser that we've seen. Just a lot of folks feel like his athleticism allows for him to have untapped potential on both the defense and the offensive side. They feel if he can develop a shooting touch, what they think they, which they think he has the capability of doing, you know, he could be uh, one of those guys who could, out of nowhere, um, be an all-star type talent eventually. So I think that the Washington Wizards, at least in this mock draft, would jump at the opportunity to pick Brandon Clark. So we stand at yeah. the Atlanta Hawks and uh, their second pick. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, I think uh, we we can't pass on the chance to take Cam Reddish here at 10. Um, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if he falls this far on draft night, but if he does, I think the Hawks, it's worth the risk for them to take him as well. And I completely agree. I, and I think that that kind of wraps up the, 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 that wraps up our top 10. And I think it makes some sense here. I think that the surprise name there was Bull Bull. But at the end, I think that if you just switched them, and it, if you made Reddish 8 and you made Bull Bull 10, then, okay, it makes a little bit of sense. But, you know, still some intriguing names on the board. But as far as our top 10 goes, obviously the Pelicans took Zion Wood. Second, the Grizzlies took John Morant. Third, the Knicks took R.J. Barrett. Fourth, 
the Pelicans uh, took uh, DeAndre Hunter. Fifth, the Cavaliers took Jared Culver. Sixth, and what I think probably is is arguably the happiest team of the of the top ten, the Phoenix Suns take Darius Garland at six. Kobe White to the Bulls at seven. Bull Bull to the Hawks at eight. And then Brandon Clark to the Wizards at nine. And at number 10, you have Cam Reddish. So at number 11, um, I, I don't know that it it, it, it it really makes a lot of sense for, for, for a team like Minnesota who does have playoff aspirations. But I do think that they go um, uh, Sekou uh, Deboya. I, I could never get his last name right. But from France, uh, the, he, he's getting a lot of buzz about potential top 10 opportunity. I think that they like his or Clark's potential matchup with Carl um, uh, Anthony Towns long term. But I think that Deboya would be a good pick there. And he's got a kind of like Clark. Uh, he's got, Their games may not be that similar, but I think that they do both have very strong physical upsides. Uh, that could, uh, you know, really turn out to make them some of the better values of this draft. So at number 12, uh, we've got the uh, uh, Charlotte Hornets. Uh, what, who do you have them taking, Justin? I'm going to have them take uh, one of their hometown dudes, uh, Nasir Little, uh, as, a, as a wing player for them. It's a pretty good pick. I think that they would be excited if they were able to get him, no doubt. Um, and the reason why I think also that it makes some sense is because he potentially has some of the biggest upside in this draft. It just doesn't make sense. Is he going to eventually long-term uh, work out for them? Um, with the uh, 13th pick in the uh, Miami Heat, um, I'm personally um, going to have them go Kevin Porter Jr. I think that uh, Kevin Porter Jr. is a – he has, in my opinion, he has shown flashes when he played of just having it. He has it. And what I mean by that is, is that he's got the confidence to be able to make space work for him and to score. And I, and I think the Heat need that. I think the Heat have, uh, it's been said around a few places, they've got a lot of high floor players. They need to go with some picks where they have upside and I think that in the right system, if he could be developed, uh, that uh, Kevin Porter Jr. could be that. So at number 14, we've got the Boston Celtics. Who do you have them taking? Uh, by the way, I think your your pick you just made was a great pick for them. Um, Thank you. Because that's who I was going to go with Boston, but you took them. Um, I am going to go with the one, the only, Romeo Langford. Fair enough. That's that's a good pick. That's a good pick. Um, at number fifteen, um, I'm going to give the Pistons um, some much needed shooting. I'm going to go Tyler Hero. Uh, I think that he would be an excellent pick for them. I think that he's someone that could offer spacing, especially a team that may arguably arguably be the closest. An example uh, of the Grizzly style with the bigs, uh, with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, I think that it makes sense to go uh, as, as spacing for them some. So I'm going to go Tyler Hero at 15 to the Pistons. Um, at 16, um, Justin, who do you have for the Orlando Magic? Well, let me throw this out to you. If we're sitting at 15 in a draft on Thursday night and Detroit comes calling and saying, hey, we want Mike Conley and Tyler Hero hasn't been drafted yet, are you interested? 
No. I, I, no. The reason and that's the thing about it. That's I had said on the previous podcast. The reason why I am I am more interested in future drafts, and you know, I also said in the uh, thing that we wrote up. I'm just I I love Tyler Hero as a draft pick if we acquired it late in the draft, but Detroit doesn't have that other potential get that makes it worth Hero potentially being the 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 um, prize of that return. I don't want Tyler Hero to be the prize of the return. I want something on the level or possibly a little bit better than Tyler Hero. That's why Indiana, for instance, at 18 with Turner and Sabonis at 18 coming to us, that may be something I would look at. That may be a little bit too too bold of, a, of an ass right now, but no. If Detroit comes calling, you know, I'll talk to him about the 15th pick, but I wouldn't make it the prize for a colony return personally. Okay. Well, at 16, um, I believe the Magic are probably going to throw the bank at Vucevic to keep him, so their their front courts are going to be pretty locked down. So I got them taking a backcourt player and, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker from Virginia Tech. That's a nice pick. That's a, that's a very nice pick. Um, at 17, uh, I, I feel that – so Atlanta has taken Bol Bol. Um, they have taken Cam Reddish. Um, I'm going to be honest. I think that at 17, you know, you probably want to go uh, – I, I guess it – I'm just going to go Tyler Hayes. Uh, or, or excuse me, not Tyler Hayes, Jackson Hayes. I know that they picked Bol Bol at number eight. But Bobo being the talent that he is, um, you, you can use him in so many different scenarios. I think Jackson Hayes is just or yeah, is too much of a value to pass up at number 17. So at number 17, I know it may not make sense um, with, with who they already have on the roster, but I, I'm going to go uh, Jackson Hayes at 17 uh, for the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, I, I'm with you on the fact that it would be kind of hard to pass him up. Um, if he's if he's something that far, uh, eighteen the Pacers. Um, let's see, with Indiana, I am going to go with the possibility of them trading one of Turner with a bonus and creating an open spot. We are going to take Rui Hachimura from Gonzaga for Indiana. With the 19th pick, um, I am going to go with uh, Goga um, Patadze. Um, like I say, these four names I've never been really good at. Um, but I think that uh, he is someone that the uh, uh, Spurs definitely could find some opportunity with. They've had unbelievable success with um, uh, international players. And overall, I think that he's someone that, while he may come over this year, and, you know, kind of be introduced to the game. You know, it's, it's kind of a – with for a lot of international players, it's a slow uh, transition of a lot of times. But I think that overall he could pay off. And just like Jackson Hayes um, at 17 for Atlanta, yeah, he may not be the biggest need, but I think value-wise he could add a lot of depth. And the Spurs are probably the best landing spot for him more than anyone. So looking at number 20 here um, for the uh, uh, Boston Celtics – who do you have going to them at number 20, Justin? At number 20, 
The Boston Celtics are going to take Grant Williams out of Tennessee. Well, I mean, I approve of that pick just, you know, uh, <laughs> instantly. So um, I, I think that makes good sense. Um, I think that a uh, long-term Grant probably is um, what, what makes uh, – he, he's just a good player. And if Boston wants to continue to grow, I think they need to go for those type of guys, high floor guys. They've got high ceiling guys. Go high floor um, and then see what you can get. Let's see here. I think he could um, be like their Draymond, their their older guy coming in the draft, glue guy, uh, makes the hustle plays, all the small plays. Like that's that's who he can be. At number twenty one, I, I feel like that somebody that I think the the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder would be glad to have available. I think they'll go Keldon Johnson um, out of Kentucky, and the reason why is because I don't think that he is the upside of a um, Paul George. But I think he's the type of guy that definitely could be uh, that has similar type of development. He's got a very underrated shot, I feel, especially with with Hero being his teammate in college. But there's a lot of effort he gives uh, on defense, and so I think Keldon Johnson at number twenty one is both a good value as well as he's in a great spot with Paul George being there to work with long term, to where he'll be able to um, come close to maximizing his value long term for the Thunder. Who do you have at 22 for the Boston Celtics? All right. I'm making a third pick for the Celtics. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to take Matisse Thibault out of Washington. Not a bad pick kind at all. Of, he's another one of those guys that can uh, come in and be like a Marcus Smart, just tough defense. Um, and, and I think he's a, a high ceiling low. Uh, I think he's got a high floor too. I think you know what you're going to get from him on a night to night basis. Um, but it's somebody that when you add him and Grant Williams together, uh, that's two solid, tough players uh, you're adding to your roster that you expect to make playoffs. Let's see here. And so at number. Um, at number 23 um, for the um, Utah Jazz, uh, I'm going to go P.J. Washington. Uh, I think that uh, he is someone that could eventually come in and be Derek Favors' replacement for the Utah Jazz. I also that, – that they've had the tendency they took um, – two years ago, they, they took the steal of the draft in Donovan Mitchell. Last year, they took a high floor guy, in my opinion, in Grayson Allen. I think it makes sense for them to look at someone who could fit their roster and complement um, um, Mitchell long term. And I think that a post presence, if Gobert for some reason were not to stay, and one that has some offensive arsenal to his game, I think PJ Washington makes a lot of sense for the Jazz um, at number 23. <laughs> 24 for the Philadelphia 76ers. Who do you have there? For the Sixers, I am going to have um, – I'm deciding between two guys right now. And I'm going to have to go with Luka Simonic, or Simonic, or however you say his name because I'm not so sure that Tobias Harris will be returning. They traded off um, 
his name is slipping my mind, the powerful Dust Sarich. And they're going to need somebody. And he's a he's a stretch kind of guy um, that I think could play well next to Embiid. So I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with him. At 25 for the Portland Trailblazers, I'm going to go Nicholas Claxton um, from Georgia, uh, another high riser, uh, someone that, that 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 a lot of people are, are seeing are, are are starting. He seems like a guy that people are starting to say looks like he was a project at first, but now people are getting indications when they look at his film, he could develop into someone you've seen now Horford, you know, thrown out there. But the big thing for him is, is that he is someone who in today's game as a big, really could be effective um, with switching and things like that. And that's what, you know, Portland needs. They have the, they, they, they're very explosive offensively at times, but if they can get someone who can add value on offense, but really has a lot of upside on defense, I think that they would be find themselves very lucky to get Nicholas Claxton at number 25. Number 26, uh, we are looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers, their second first round pick. Who do you see them taking um, at 26? I think we're going to take uh, 26, Cam Johnson from uh, North Carolina. At 27, I'm going to have the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I've seen him uh, mock to him a few places, but Taylor Horton Tucker, uh, the guard from Iowa State, um, he is someone who jumps out at you as okay. Yeah, there's not re- there's a not necessarily a lot of questions, but a lot of people look at him and just don't know how he fits. But those are the type of players nowadays that have more value because of the game that's becoming more and more positionless. You want to get players who have high upside and that can contribute in a lot of different ways. Just like the Jazz in the West, I think that Brooklyn has established themselves as one of the better sources of developing talent under Kenny Atchison. And especially if they got Kyrie, I think that in a guard-oriented game now, Horton may not add that just ultimate skill that you would hope to find in a lot of players in the backcourt, but he can do a lot of things defensively, rebounding, whatever it may be. I think his upside is a good get at 27 for the Brooklyn Nets. At number 28, uh, the Golden State Warriors, and what some may think may be the first pick of a rebuild, quote-unquote, um, uh, who will they take with number 28, Justin? Well, because it's the first pick of a rebuild, we're going to take a, a little bit of a stretch, but I think he has a lot of upside. And we're going to take Darius Baisley. Very, very impressive. I think that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, I, 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 he's someone that not a lot of people know a, a bunch about. So I think it does make sense to look at him, especially if they want to develop um, you know, some new depth with some people retiring. With the San Antonio Spurs, I'm just going to do it because it's the mock draft. I think he fits them well, and I think that he is underrated in this draft. I'm going to take them, uh, make them take Admiral Schofield uh, forward from the University of Tennessee. I just wrote up um, a piece about him over at Grizzly Bear Blues. Uh, compared him to potentially having uh, the, the outcome of a, of a Malcolm Brogdon-type impact, he may not have that upside, but I think that in the right system, you really could make the most of what he has to offer. And again, I think that, you know, this isn't just saying it with um, Schofield. 
his personality and off the uh, court um, impact is unbelievable. And I think in a, in a strong foundation like San Antonio, he could be a very good value at number 29. And then with the last pick of the uh, first round, uh, we've got the Milwaukee Bucks. Who do you have them taking uh, number 30 overall? Well, the Bucks need some more wing scoring um, and wing athleticism to go uh, with their team. And this guy is a uh, guy that is rising up on mock drafts uh, based on his athleticism, his defense, and his three-point stroke. And I'm going to take Terrence Davis out of Ole Miss and put him in there with the Milwaukee Bucks. There you go, folks. The first ever 3-and-D mock draft uh, during the um, reign, I guess you could say, or era of Sean Coleman and Justin Lewis. And look at how talented we are. Not only do we do the mock draft in, in less than 20 minutes, but we also sit here and pick two guys from the alma mater that we cheer for, and we make it make sense to end the first round. I feel accomplished. How about you, Justin? Hey, I'm right there with you. <laughs> so, Justin, when you look um, at the makeup of this first round, when you – we'll spend a few minutes talking about the draft as we wrapped up, wrap up here on the 3 and D podcast. We'll first talk about, you know, the draft as the setup is itself. Who do you see – where do you see the sweet spots being? Whether it be tiers of talent or just, you know, hey, with this they can make a move. Just a couple of sweet spots, even in the lottery or outside of the lottery, where you could uh, uh, really see, you know, a team get a good value or potentially make a trade out of that spot for a team that feels they can get a good value. Um, that's tough because I've seen mock drafts where players like a a Rui are in the top 10, but also out of the lottery. Um, and and so as far as sweet spots go, I think that, um, four through seven, uh, those, those teams that are in there, um, are going to probably dangle those picks a little bit until they can get for them because there are players with some upside, like Darius Garland. Uh, DeAndre Hunter has a very high floor, um, and Kobe White is exciting. And then once you get past seven, I think it's all uh, – well, maybe eight, because I think Brandon Clark, you can put in that tier up there with the top eight players uh, and, and White and Garland, Culver, Hunter. But, so at like nine to – 14, the rest of the lottery, I think it's all risk. And I think it's upside, um, whether it's a Bull Bull or a Cam Reddish, Russicoa Deboya, um, Nasir Little, Little and the promise that he has shown, or Porter Jr. or Lankford, like any of those guys, um, I think you'll see teams jumping up and saying, hey, we want to take a risk on this guy. Um, we we like what we saw in our workout. Um, and then I think there are some guys that are – uh, at the back end of the first round, like a Darius Baisley, a Schofield, a Terrence Davis, a Claxton. Um, and there's some other guys, Ty Jerome, um, Carson Edwards, a point guard from uh, Purdue. There's there's just guys in that back end that I think you can see teams uh, trade up for the second round or maybe even drop back um, to take somebody like that. And I think that, you know, that's um, that's something – that Joe Mullinaxon mentioned and that you've seen in general. I think people, I, you know, I've said that I don't think that the depth in this draft 
is as good as it has been in the past, nor do I think it will be over the next few drafts. But I do think that the 19 draft could potentially have much more rosterable talents than people give credit for. Because there's a lot of talents, and like you said, in that late first to early second, who if they land in the right system, they can become very good role players. John Tay Porter, for instance, um, out of Missouri. You know, there are a lot of bigs in the back um, ground, uh, or excuse me, it, it, towards the end of the first round, um, such as um, uh, Nas Reed and uh, um, Daniel Gafford and things such as that. Um, I personally, from Tennessee, Jordan Bone is someone who likely wouldn't go off the board till maybe the 50s or, or 60, but just his his skills outside of scoring, outside of the you know stat-filling opportunity, I think he could do a lot of good things there. So I think that the 19 draft has a lot uh, of rosterable talent. Uh, you could see for three to five years down the road, more players on roster still from the 19 draft than you thought. Justin, my next question about the draft is, who are the power players in this draft? Who do you think are the teams that, if whether they make a move or they do not, that starts the chain reaction uh, for it either to be a night where you see a lot of action or a night that may be pretty quiet? Uh, I think it starts at four with the Pelicans. Uh, you know, I'm not convinced that they're necessarily wanting to hang on to that pick. Um, I think Cleveland keeps theirs and Phoenix. And I, I think it's, it starts at four and then it goes once you, I think five through 10 might be kind of quiet. And then you hit outside of the top 10. And I think you can see potential for, uh, some moves. Obviously, Boston could be a power with three picks in the first round. Um, they've mentioned that they want to trade one of them. Um, and then uh, Brooklyn's got two, and they're trying to make some room for uh, some max contracts. So, obviously, they, they probably don't want two um, first-round picks to put under contract while they're trying to attract uh, Kyrie and somebody else. So, you could see Brooklyn uh, making some moves possibly as well. So I'd probably go with the powers being Boston and Brooklyn. And in my in my opinion, I also think that another power is definitely the Atlanta Hawks uh, with uh, the eighth, tenth, and seventeenth pick. You know, sixth overall. But I'm gonna be honest with you. I just you I could convince myself that um, if uh, if the Hawks wanted to trade up to number three, to get R.J. Barrett, that would make sense to me. I could see it happening. But if you don't trade up into the top three with the assets that the Hawks have, it doesn't make sense to move up. I don't see there be it making enough sense for the value that you can get at eight, eight and ten for you to potentially use one of those in 17, or if it has to take both of those, to move up to four to get like a Garland, a Culver, or a Hunter. I mean, for instance, there is a reasonable chance that the Hawks could wind up with Cam Reddish and Brandon Clark um, at the 8 and 10 spot. If they wound up with those two, I understand that there's a lot of raw um, aspects to their game, but there is so much potential as well. I think Atlanta would have to be ecstatic with that haul at 8 and 10, and I think that that potential to get that type of haul has a lot more value uh, than trading up for four or later um, by, by using one of your 8th or 10th picks to move up. So I think that there's just as much possibility 
you could see teams standing pat and it being the smart move, then you see in a bunch of moves uh, for, for, for folks to move up here. I think that that's what you're going to see, kind of like what you had talked about with the Pelicans. I think that you're going to see some teams even move back so that they can kind of hedge their impact or their um, exposure in this draft. Get a couple of picks in this draft instead of only having one, uh, that can really make sense. So beyond all this and beyond the Grizzlies pick, Justin, what is the top thing you're really looking forward to in this draft? What what is what is the thing that you are look the question that you are looking to get answered most in terms of the draft itself? All right, I'm going to answer this, and then I got a tweet that I need to read you. Um, I I love trades on draft night. Like I love watching to see like who's getting moved where. Like I remember when um, Kevin Garnett got traded to the Celtics, and that's one of the first drafts I've seen it just go nuts um, with trade. So I'll be looking for that, but I'll also be interested as far as the Grizzlies go, if there's somebody that slips into the second round, that's um, that has some talent. Uh, if they, if they're like a, a Daniel Gafford or a Jonte Porter, um, a Ty Jerome, uh, Ron Bowen is talented. Would we uh, buy it, buy our way in the second round to, to steal a talent like we did with Dylan Brooks um, two years ago. That would be what I'm watching for. Uh, but according to the New York Post, John, um, the Pelicans are having discussions about trying to trade up to number two to pair Zion with RJ. Yep. And, yep. And, uh, I mean, they've got the goods. In all honesty, it just depends. If you're, I mean, we saw it would be like it would come down to just like last year. If the Grizzlies make the move to go to number four and they gain an extra first rounder for it, are you convinced that the difference between Darius Garland and John Morant is worth that first, is close enough to make that first round pick make that a win for you? In a scenario, yes, I could see that. But the Grizzlies are going to have the best chance of doing that by taking a pick several years off into the future. Because it's probably that that, or if you get the Pelicans first rounder next year, for instance. The Grizzlies need to make sure that it's a very high percentage. It's a clear win for them. Because at the end of the day, I think that that's what it comes down to. It's are you convinced that you're getting a good enough pick that you have enough certainty you're going to get another high first rounder to be able to take to be okay with Garland instead of John Morant? I think that it makes more sense than a lot of people might. But at the end of the day, Memphis fans have had themselves convinced that John Morant is kind of like Luka Doncic in this one, and that no matter how you look at it, Atlanta gained another first rounder and they gained um, Trey Young. But Doncic looked so good, and it wound up not really working out for Atlanta that well. So, to me, it, it almost comes down to the point to where, you know, how much certainty are you that that first rounder makes sense? And now with the lottery being less of an art to predict, I don't know. It, it, it's just it's it's hard. I think at the end of the day, I would really explore it, but I've become more convinced on just taking John going with it than I was in the past um, than doing a trade 
and taking that chance. But but I, I certainly would listen to if I were the Grizzlies at the end of the day, though, I think they'll take John Morant. What about you? Yeah, I don't I don't see why they're trying to jump to two um, unless they're they're under the impression that Memphis is interested in RJ because they could probably afford it, it would cost them less just to move up one spot to three and take RJ or maybe it wouldn't cost them less. Maybe they're trying to jump to two to keep uh, New York because New York is set on RJ and and want to take him. But um, I, I just said. If you if you give me the number four pick this year, and you uh, take their first round pick next year, kind of like the Atlanta Dallas swap that you mentioned, but then you also need to give me like Josh Hart, and then I'll draft Garland. Then we can talk about it. But I think I'd still prefer to just take Morant and call it a day. Yeah, if you're talking about an Ingram Ball combination with the number four pick, I'm not necessarily convinced, and it's not the talent. I feel the talent is there with Ball. I think he's very underrated. I don't want any part of Ball. I don't want any part of Ball and LeVar Ball. I know that that may not make sense, but LeVar Ball is going to have a bigger impact in a smaller market on on, uh, Lonzo Ball's future than he would in a bigger market because he has the ability to control more. Lonzo Ball, I don't think, is a long-term fit for the Grizzlies. I just don't because I don't think LeVar Ball would want him here. Uh, Brandon Ingram, I, I think that he is a translatable talent. Does he stay in Memphis long-term? I don't know. He could turn into more of an Andrew Wiggins-type player than he could an all-star. You don't know, especially with him coming off you know, this injury. So, again, for the Grizzlies, I just how much does this front office trust itself? Do they want to go with cashing in on the luck that they got and take Morant, or do they trust themselves enough to where they can develop Garland's scoring ability, which Grizzly, which the Grizzlies could definitely use, and also develop the asset. I think that's the question that they need to ask themselves. So if the at the end of the day, what I think that it comes down to is, is that if you're going to move off that number two pick to go to number four, you make sure the Pelicans, especially with the Pelicans being in the division and this decision impacting you for the next decade, the Grizzlies need to make sure that if they're going to make the trade, it's a clear win. It's something they can't refuse. I think that's what it comes down to. Justin, before we end for the night, do you have anything else uh, that you'd like to add? Uh, we may we may try to get one more in here, obviously before the draft. But uh, anything else you want to add? That's all I got tonight. Well, special guest tomorrow um, with me. I'll be uh, talking with a special guest um, who who does have some knowledge on John Morant. Hopefully, Justin will be able to join us. And then from there, one thing I can guarantee is that um, into the weekend, maybe Thursday night afterwards. Um, you know, we will be um, doing a draft reaction. Um, I will be live from the uh, bluff in Memphis, um, not for the uh, podcast, but our podcast, but there in person with fellow GBBers. I love Memphis 92.9 ESPN for the draft party that we're throwing. Um, uh, Justin, I know you won't be able to make it, um, but, uh, but please join us there. And uh, Justin, um, the last question that I have to ask you is this. At the end of the day, after the Grizzlies draft, what do you think is going to be I, – I guess when it comes to the Grizzlies, what's going to give you the most confidence going forward besides just the pick? Is it, is it if they make a move? Is it they don't make a move? Are you hoping they gain extra picks in this draft? Um, uh, I think it just depends on who's available. I don't want to get a pick just to get a pick and then 
we get stuck taking somebody that we really don't want, like a, like, I'm not going to name a name, but if there's somebody that is slipping and falling like Michael Porter Jr. was last year, I was dying for us to buy in and get him while he was slipping and slipping and slipping. Um, if something like that happens, then, yeah, I want to see us get a pick and make a move. Or if somebody's in the second round that's um, uh, a diamond in the rough, I'd like us to get uh, a pick and do that. But not, not to get a pick, just to have uh, pick sake. Exactly. And and that's what I'll end with as well. I don't want to pick to just get a pick sake. I don't want to trade Conley just for the sake of, of staying in the news and, you know, doing something to um, suffice um, the now. Play the waiting game. Play the value game. You have leverage still after the draft. You can always invest in future picks. Do what is best for your roster long term, and I think that's what it comes down to. You know what you have with the number two pick. You know that you have a direct avenue to John Morant. What you need to do on any um, scenario with him, does the return make it to where you feel strongly it's going to be better overall for your franchise than getting John Morant? That's what you do when it comes to trading it. And also when it comes to Mike Conley, do you feel that you're getting enough value to where long-term it makes more sense than potentially having picks in future drafts? You know the baseline that you have. Look at it and try to exceed it You know if you're going to make moves. So for Justin Lewis, my name is Sean Coleman. Thank you so much for joining us on the 3ND Podcast. We will be with you again tomorrow night, and then also we'll be with you for a draft recap. Thanks, as always, for joining us here on the 3ND Podcast.